You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken from the Old Testament from the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 to 13. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This afternoon we continue with the Gospel according to Mark, and we come to verses 35 to 41 of Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Beloved Congregation of Jesus Christ, In 1975, a freighter set sail from Superior, Wisconsin across Lake Superior. 
the greatest of the Great Lakes. Its destination was Detroit, Michigan. Not far into its journey, the freighter, filled with iron ore, encountered a vicious fall storm. The ship tried to make her way into the safety of Whitefish Bay on the Canadian side, but before she could make it, she capsized and went down to the bottom, taking her crew of 29 with her. Some of you remember this story because it was immortalized in Gordon Lightfoot's song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. At one point in the song, Lightfoot poignantly asks, Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? It's a sentiment desperate mariners everywhere and in every age can relate to. It's a sentiment that the disciples in our passage could definitely relate to. There they were out in the middle of a storm, and where was God? Certainly not sleeping in the stern of their boat, or so they thought. They were panicked, desperate men. Maybe you can also relate to how they felt. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? In the context of that sort of confused desperation, our Lord Jesus reveals himself further by calming a great storm. That's our theme this afternoon as I preach to you God's word from Mark 4, 35 to 41. Jesus further reveals himself by calming a great storm. Been a long day of preaching and teaching for our Lord Jesus. Most of the day had been spent out in the boat teaching the crowds on the shore. However, now the sun was setting and it was time to move on. So the Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples, told them to pull up the anchor and set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, assuming that he was in or near Capernaum, this meant going east across the widest part of the lake to the country of the Gerasenes, people whom we'll encounter when we get to chapter 5. So they left most of the crowd behind and the disciples set sail with him in the boat. Now, there's a a strange expression here in verse 36. At least, I thought it was strange when I first saw it. Uh, The NIV translates this literally, as do all the other major translations. And the expression is, just as he was. They took him in the boat, just as he was. This is simply a reference to the fact that he was already in the boat. The boat had been his pulpit throughout the day. Mark adds that there were other boats sailing with him as well. This would seem to indicate that at least some of the crowd was trying to follow him across the lake. Now before we go any further, you should know something about Galilean fishing boats of Jesus' day. Back in 1986, an ancient Galilean fishing boat was unearthed from the mud along the shores of the lake. It was dated back to the first century around the time of Christ. The boat was about 72 feet long, so quite long, and 27 feet wide, and also quite wide. But it was only about four feet deep. Now, I don't know why they built them this way, 
But archaeologists suggest that this was probably a fairly common way of building fishing boats in Galilee at this time. So you need to know something about fishing boats, but you also need to know something about the Sea of Galilee and its surrounding terrain. When I was up in Fort Babine, you could be out on Babine Lake in a boat and it would be so calm, the water was like a mirror. But in five minutes, the wind could whip up out of the surrounding hills and mountains and create an instant nightmare on the water. You wouldn't want to be out there in a small boat. The same is true for the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it sounds like it's even worse for these kinds of windstorms. You see, at the southern end of the lake is a very deep, cliff-lined valley. And what happens is the wind gets funneled through there, it picks up in intensity, and then it whisks up the lake into a frenzy. One commentator mentions that parking lots right on the western shore today, of course, have warning signs that cars can easily get swamped, can get carried away by the waves. So when a storm like that starts thrashing the lake, you don't want to be out on the water. But that's exactly where Jesus and his disciples were on this particular evening. The geography produced weather which conspired with the construction of the boat to create havoc. The wind spit out tall waves that started throwing water into the boat. And before long, the boat began to capsize. And since most people in those days didn't know how to swim, it looked like the disciples were headed for the dark bottom of the lake. It was a fisherman's worst nightmare come true. So indeed, the disciples were in a panic. And remember, some of these men were experienced mariners. They've been out in the water before many, many times. They were experienced mariners. But ironically, the carpenter was sleeping soundly. Mark tells us that the Lord Jesus was asleep in the stern on a cushion. That means that he was in the back of the boat, at a higher point in the boat, in a bit of a sheltered location. There was probably a bit of an overhang that he was under. Fast asleep. Loved ones, don't don't miss this detail here. The Lord Jesus became tired and fell asleep. Now what does that tell us about him? What does that reveal about him? Well, it tells us that he was truly human. He didn't merely appear to be human, as some people say. He actually was human. He actually did have a human nature like you and I do. He became tired and he needed sleep. In fact, he could become so tired and sleep so soundly that not even a vicious windstorm on a lake could wake him up. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is revealed here as being true man. And you know, that's good news for us. Let me explain how. First of all, his human nature qualifies him to be the mediator of the covenant of grace. Being a perfect, true man, he is the one who can go between God and us. On the basis of what he has done, his perfect life and all his suffering and death, he can and he does reconcile sinners to the Father. Your Savior is a true man. Without that essential fact, we would still be lost in darkness. 
Second, his human nature is also good news because we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You say you've come to church here this afternoon and you're tired. You're worn out. He knows what it's like to be tired. He's been worn out. He knows. The good news goes further. Because today, he is not sleeping. He is not tired. He is not worn out. He has a glorified human body. And he stands ready 24-7 to intercede for you before the throne of grace. He never tires of doing good for you. As God tells us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you're tired, you're worn out, you're at the end of your rope, go in prayer to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in your time of need. At the throne of grace, you'll find a Savior who's been in your shoes, who understands. So there lay our Savior, soundly sleeping. His disciples were in a state of panic, however, and they they woke Him from His sleep with a, a frightened question. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? These are the same disciples who will later fall asleep on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane during His hour of terror. He asks them at that time to watch and pray with him. But they don't. Here the Lord is sleeping and the disciples are facing their hour of terror. They go to Jesus with panic in their voices, asking him, what's wrong with him? The fact that they woke him up shows that they suspect he may be able to do something about their plight. But their words also emphatically betray a sense that it's quite likely that Jesus really doesn't care about them. They're not words of faith that the disciples utter, but words of fearful panic and desperation. Without saying a word to his disciples, the Lord Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and spoke to the waves. In Greek, it's just two brisk words. Siopa, pefimoso. These are harsh, very direct words. Siopa, pefimoso. If we translate that, if we translate what he says literally, be silent, shut up. He talks to the wind as if it were an animate being. And he addresses the lake as if it were a heckler getting out of hand. And miraculously, the wind and the waves, they listened. Immediately, the wind abated and there was a great calm over the lake. The Lord Jesus spoke as one who had authority over the wind and the sea. He spoke as God. And when he spoke, the elements of creation obeyed. Already here, there's a hint that Christ is God already with Mark's word choice. He says that Jesus rebuked the wind 
Elsewhere in the Bible, this word is usually reserved for something that God does, that God alone can do. One example from the New Testament is Jude 9, where the archangel Michael is said to have disputed with Satan over the body of Moses. Instead of bringing a slanderous accusation, Michael says, The Lord rebuke you. He recognizes that this kind of rebuking is something that God does. Angels can't do this for themselves. That's why he says, the Lord rebuke you. Here too, the Lord Jesus reveals his divine power and prerogative by exercising the right to rebuke the wind and the waves. But there's more in the Old Testament background. In Genesis 1, God had control over the waters at creation. In the exodus from Egypt, God directed the waters of the Red Sea. They parted. He directed the waters of the Jordan. They parted. In Isaiah 43, the passage we read a moment ago, God promises to protect his people through the waters. He can make that promise because he's in control of the waters. More to the point... In Psalm 107, God is the one who stills the storm to a whisper. God is the one who hushes the waves of the sea. And we're going to sing that psalm later on in response to the sermon. We're also going to sing Psalm 93 as our last song. There, God is the one who has power and might over the thunder of the great waters. He is the one mightier than the breakers of the sea. And when you take all this Old Testament background into account, a man who speaks to the waters, who commands them and they listen, such a man must confuse the living daylights out of any respectable Jew. This is something that only God can do. One moment this man is sleeping, and the next minute he's acting as Almighty God? What's up? But before the disciples can express their befuddlement at this, the Lord Jesus also turns and rebukes his disciples. In their panic, the disciples had asked him a question. Now, Jesus turns to them with a measured question of his own. And no matter how you interpret them, Jesus' words here are cutting. They have a sharp edge of rebuke and admonishment. You might think that he would pat them on the back for coming to him in the middle of the storm. Say something like, good disciples, I see I've trained you well. You know where to turn when there are storms. Good for you. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't even say anything remotely close to that. Instead, he hauls them over the coals with his question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, what's up with your cowardice? When are you going to get some real faith? This is not the Jesus people want to hear about. This is the Jesus who reprimands his disciples with harsh words. Harsh words that echo his harsh rebuke of the wind and the waves. But whether you like it or not, 
This is how Jesus is revealed to us in our text. Now we should go further and ask how the Lord Jesus reached this conclusion. It must have been their question, don't you think? Or more accurately, the assumptions that were behind their question. The assumption was that they were about to die. The assumption was that the situation was entirely out of control and they were lost. In their panic, they woke up Jesus. They didn't even ask him to save them. They just asked why it appeared that he didn't care about the fact that they were all about to die. Their false assumptions were what earned his rebuke. And you know where this is leading for us, don't you? This text exposes the false assumptions that all believers, including you and I, often make when faced with storms of all sorts, not just the physical storms when you're in a boat with the wind blowing and the waves crashing in. Sometimes we actively assume the worst. We assume that things are out of control. We often assume that God is distant, that he's uninvolved with what we're going through. He doesn't care. Or perhaps, maybe even more likely, we don't even think carefully about how God fits into our situation. We have all kinds of stress, difficult situations, problems, and perhaps it doesn't even occur to us that God is there in the middle of it. We don't think that God is relevant to our situation. What's happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you too. Loved ones, these false assumptions deserve the rebuke of the Lord Jesus. What's going on with your cowardice and timidity? Do you still have no faith? And when we hear that rebuke, as we hear it addressed to us this afternoon, what should be our response? Well, you might try, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to grow out of these wrong assumptions and into the right ones, the the, the, the assumptions of faith. And so how does this text help us to grow out of the wrong assumptions and into the right ones? Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians and and Colossians, to, to put off the old and to put on the new. Well, it all comes together with the revelation of who Jesus is here and the call for us to believe in him as he has been revealed. Look to Jesus and fix your eyes on him in faith. That's where the last verse of our text wants to take us. Mark tells us that the disciples were filled with a great fear. They were terrified. And we don't know exactly what this fear is, whether it's the fear of God or something different. If I can just throw something out, I suspect that it's the fear that someone feels when they've been exposed for who they really are by someone they really admire, look up to. Younger brothers and sisters can imagine if they had a teacher they they really looked up to. A teacher who seemed to enjoy having them in the class. 
got along really well with this teacher. And then one day, the teacher really tears a strip off you. And you know you had it coming to you. It's not a pleasant feeling. I think that's the kind of fear that Mark is talking about here. But it's not something I'm going to be insistent upon. Perhaps it is the fear of God. Maybe it's both. Regardless, what what follows next is a state of befuddlement and the disciples asking each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. And the identity of Jesus Christ is a key concern of the Gospel according to Mark. It's why Mark starts the way he does with the title, telling us that it is the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we keep going through, Mark, we'll see this identity question coming up again. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He sleeps in the boat, but he commands the wind and the waves. He is man, but he is more. He is also God the Son, through whom all things were made. He is God the Son who is in control over every element of the universe. He is God the Son who speaks and the wind and the waves listen. Loved ones, this is your Savior. A few moments ago I mentioned the good news and knowing and believing that the Lord Jesus is true man. Now here He is revealed as true God. And there we find good news for us as well. Also good news for those who are facing trials and difficulties. Those who are facing storms of whatever sort. First off, I mentioned that his humanity qualified him as the mediator of the covenant of grace. His divinity is also a qualification for that role. He would never have been able to bear the wrath of God against our sins if He had not possessed the divine nature. The same divine nature by which He commands the wind and the waves. And as our mediator, He can point to His perfect, once-for-all sacrifice on the cross by which He bore the penalty which each one of us deserved. Second, and more directly connected to our text, Your Savior is with you in His Holy Spirit. God is never distant or removed from your life. As you experience trials and difficulties, you must believe. Believe that God moves in mysterious ways. Sometimes we don't feel His presence. Sometimes we don't experience His presence. But He is there. And he does care. Someone once compared it to the sun hiding behind the clouds. At that moment, you can't see the sun. You can't feel its warmth. But the sun is still there. So is God in the midst of your trials and your difficulties. And building on that, we have to understand the nature of Christ's deliverance. Listen carefully. The Lord Jesus does not deliver us from storms. 
but through storms. Through the storm. The Lord Jesus delivered his disciples from false assumptions, helping them to grow into the right ones. He will continue to work the same way in our lives. Through the storms, he will deliver us from false assumptions and he will grow us in faith and fruit. Finally, the Lord Jesus is revealed here not only as God who is there, but also as God who has power. He has power over the wind and the waves. But there's much more to his power than that. When you look to Christ in faith, when you fix your eyes on him, he has power to transform your life. He has power to give you more and more victory over the power of sin in your life. Loved ones, look to Christ your Savior in faith and what will result will be more faith, more trust, and the fruits of faith will also follow. Gordon Lightfoot asked, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Yes, Mr. Lightfoot, we have the answer in Scripture. The love of God is where it always is, in Jesus Christ and on us as we are in Him. When the waves turn the minutes to hours, we will steadfastly look to Christ and He will deliver us in the ways that really matter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ in our text this afternoon. Thank you for a Savior who is both true man and true God. We praise you that we have a Savior qualified to be the mediator of the covenant of grace. We worship you for a Savior who understands our weakness. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, our true God, with power to transform our lives. Father, we also hear his rebuke of our false assumptions. We repent and we cry out to you, Lord, help our unbelief. As we look to Christ, our Savior, transform us and help us to put off the false assumptions and take on the true ones more and more. Lord, apart from you, we are nothing and our works are nothing. We need you every minute and every hour. Help us to continue fixing our eyes on Christ alone and on the gospel that you have given. We pray in Christ our Savior. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org. Dot org.